Welcome back to another episode of the Sex Mancers Podcast. You know, on this episode, I'm going to talk about something here, about something I did that really made my wife happy, right? And it involved me opening up my wallet, right? And that's what did. I had to buy something. Now, if you knew me as much as my wife knows me or as much as my close friends know me, you would know that the words tightwad wouldn't exactly be a stretch in describing me. You know, uh, frugal, you know, those type of words. I call it responsible money management. But anyways, I have been, you know, doing the whole Dave Ramsey thing where, you know, we do a budget every month. We've been reducing uh, debt. We've been going through and doing a whole lot of stuff in order to try and improve our financial positions. And I've been dabbling in the stock market, uh, doing some swing trading. In any event, my wife has been on my case for a few years now about getting a new minivan. And of course, all this time, my response has been, what's wrong with what you're driving? It still starts up and gets you from A to B. Right? But she didn't see it that way. She saw it as it's getting old. But even though it doesn't have very many miles on it for its age. You know, she's starting to go, well, things, you know, are starting to maybe go wrong, but those things are the little stuff. Like, for instance, the directional navigators telling you what direction you're going and what the temperatures are. That stopped working. Okay, you know, that, that to me is not a big deal when it comes to a vehicle. But her main issue was it was starting to rust, right? Because up until now, she has been driving a 99 Chevy Venture, right? And I had gotten a great deal on that. Uh, when we got it, it had 104,000 miles on it. And it was in good shape. And I was able to get it for only $3,000. So I was able to get a great deal and it's lasted seven years, All right? For seven years, I got $3,000 worth out of that vehicle, you know, hauling the kids around, you know, taking them to school, taking them on weekend trips to grandma's house and all of that good stuff. So we were able to go through and get, you know, our money out of it and it still runs. It still starts up reliably. It still gets us where we need to go. It's still a trustworthy vehicle. But she doesn't like the way it looked because it was starting to rust out. So after a few years and evaluating it now, she was finally able to convince me to open my wallet and to get a new to us minivan, a new mom mobile. And how she uh, explained it to me was, well, it's starting to rust underneath the sliding doors where the kids get in and out are not starting to rust, but it has rusted pretty bad. And it's starting to create some sharp, jagged edges, which is a safety concern for our kids. See, she knew that talking to me about how you know, it doesn't have the feature she wants, it's getting old, she wants something new with more bells and whistles uh, in it, wasn't going to work. But when it comes to the safety of our kids, especially our three-year-old, who could get injured on the sharp, jagged edges that have formed because of the rusting, finally, I realized, hey, you're right. 
this is a safety concern. So I started looking around. Now, of course, she had her heart set on what make our uh, model that she wanted, what brand and what model of minivan that she wanted. So I started going around, taking a look at vehicles, searching Facebook, searching dealerships, just kind of gauging the market for minivans. And of course, just like the last time, I realized, damn, minivans are expensive. You know, of course, I'm saying mini uh, minivan, but in my household, I will call it the mom mobile. Not the soccer mom vehicle, but the mom mobile. Right, so I started going off and researching what minivans were available, mileage, price, and all of that. And I did all this research and I came back. I came back to her with a proposal here. It was a 2002 Chevy Venture with only uh, 110,000 miles on it. And I was showing her this and I was going, hey, look, and it even has a button on the pass for the passenger side door to automatically open. Automatic sliding door on the passenger side. That means now when the kids get it, uh, out of the uh, van, when we drop them off at school and they forget to shut the door, you don't have to get out of your seat to shut the door. You could just press this button and it will shut the door for you. And I'm like, see, you know, this is great. You know, it, it's a newer model. It, I don't see any rust. It has nice low mileage on it. And it even has that automatic sliding door for you. So, you know, when the kids don't shut it uh, as they run off to school, you don't have to get out of your seat. This is great. And guess what? It only costs $2,800. Now, I was excited. She wasn't. She wasn't excited about that at all. She was looking at this going, no, 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 no. Now, we're not just going to upgrade to a newer year minivan, you know, the same make a model. And with one feature, such as an automatic sliding door on the passenger side. No, 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 no. That's not what her heart was set on. That was in no way, shape or form going to do the trick for her. And I was pushing hard on this because I was looking at what other vehicles were costing here. All right. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with this? She's like, okay, let me explain it to you. I have been very well behaved. I have stuck to the budget. I have, you know, gone along with prioritizing investing and growing the money rather than going off and spending money on a whole lot of fun that we could have with the kid. You know, instead of investing in nice fun toys to be able to play with, right? Non-sexual toys, right? You know, the elect, some electronic stuff and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. You know, she has controlled her shopping to the budget. And when I say budget, it's not that I say you can't spend any money on anything. I mean, we budget where we put our money. And one of the budget items is pocket money where we delegate, okay, you get this much money, spend it however you want. Right. And I get the same amount of money 
to spend however I want. And then the rest of the budget is taking a look at bills, retirement planning, kids' college funds, and groceries, clothing, transportation. You know, um, but we also go, this is family entertainment budget. I mean, a budget, a lot of people misunderstand, but a budget is just you agreeing on how you're going to prioritize and, uh, your money and then sticking to it. But we've gone through with what I've kind of generally wanted, which is growing financial security, growing our retirement and, you know, sacrificing some things along the way. So she sees this whole uh, minivan issue or the mom mobile issue as a reward for, you know, really, you know, controlling her spending impulses. So upgrading from a 99 Chevy Venture to a 2002 Chevy Venture and only getting the automatic sliding door on the passenger side wasn't good enough. She needed something a lot better. So for the interest of going through and not spinning my wheels, I decided to finally ask her, well, what vehicle or what type of minivan do you have in mind? And that's when she lays it on me. The only two make and model that are acceptable to her is she either wanted a Honda Odyssey or a Toyota Sienna. Now, not being much of a person who takes a look in minivans, I'm like, okay, okay, let me just go ahead and do a little bit of research here and see what kind of damage this is going to cause. And so I started looking up on both new and used Honda Odysseys and Toyota Siennas. And I about had a heart attack. Yes, I'm looking at this new vehicles. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. I refuse to ever buy new because I want there to be at least one owner who solved all the defects or problems uh, out of the manufacturing. And so I started looking at used ones, you know, going back to 2012s and all of that. And I was seeing them, you know, 175,000 miles, you know, up to 250,000 miles. And I was seeing down there at 175,000 miles, they were still wanting six, $7,000 for it. And I'm like, that is way too many miles for that price. Too many miles for that price. And she wasn't going to accept that many miles either. And so we started going through and, you know, typically we get around the 100,000 mile range. You know, uh, we can usually get good deals on those and they will last. I mean, heck, a $3,000 minivan lasted seven years, you know, in our custody. And, you know, she doesn't drive a whole lot, you know, to be honest here. You know, so I started going, okay, okay. And I did some more research and I was seeing a lot of them at the 200,000 plus mile mark. And so, I'm going off and I'm thinking, well, if these still run pretty good, then at least if I get her one of these at around 100,000 miles, based off of how she drives, this would be the last minivan I would have to purchase for her. As long as, you know, we got it in good condition, you know, no rust, and we followed the maintenance schedule, this would be the last minivan that we would ever have to purchase. And this would last 
until all the kids are grown and gone. Well, maybe not all the kids, but you know, until enough of the kids are grown and gone that we wouldn't need to get another minivan, you know, because, you know, once you're down to only two kids in the household or one kid in the household, you only need a car, you know, in order to get around and do some family trips with, you know, minivans is, well, I guess it's because if you have three kids, you know, you can't have them all sitting in uh, the car for very long. I mean, I get it, you know, the, you know, that technically they can fit, but can they fit without fighting uh, would be the big issue here. And so we have it. So there's at least a seat in between them. And right now our youngest is still, you know, just three years old in a car seat. Okay. Okay. So I'm looking at this going, okay, this will last her until we no longer need a minivan. You know, if we get it around a hundred thousand mile mark. So I started searching around and I was looking at, you know, older vehicles, you know, 2007. Oh no, 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 no. That was too old. That was too old. You know, it, it didn't matter that it, that it was the right make and model and that it was within the price range of that, that I wanted at the decent mileage. No, no, no. It was too old. She wants it to be newer. So I started going off and th- taking a look at all of this and I'm like, okay, okay. So, so that I don't spend my wills how old are you willing to accept here? And she's looking at this and she's going, well, depending on what version, because yeah, there's different versions of this with different amount of luxury items within these make and models. She might be willing to accept as old as a 2012. And I'm looking at all these 2012s and I'm like, oh my God, she's going for something very expensive here. And so I start looking around, I started researching and of course, she, you know, she has her version of what or how much luxuries need to be in there, you know, for the sliding doors and, you know, moon roofs and, you know, the navigation computer and yada, yada, yada. And so I'm going through here and taking a look and I finally find something that isn't bad. So we start going around, you know, to private party sell so I can negotiate down the price. And there was always something wrong with them, you know, check engine light. And then they tried to lie about what the check engine light was. And on our test drive, we would go down to O'Reilly's and have the computer inspected. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. Or the vehicle was all scratched up. Now, we could probably fix it, you know, the scratching if they brought down the price enough to cover the cost of fixing, you know, the, you know, the scraping and the paint transfers and all that. But these people weren't willing to negotiate. They, they were on the belief that, Hey, this is a Honda Odyssey. It's definitely worth this price. You know, even with the problem. So I started spinning my wheel and She was still on my case. Hey, we need to get a new minivan. This is getting too dangerous for the kids getting in and out of. They could scratch themselves and uh, all of that. And she deserves a good mom mobile for behaving to the budget. 
So I finally started taking a look at dealerships, right? Started going through taking a look at dealerships and I found one that had just come in. It's, uh, it was a little bit above my particular price range, but I thought, okay, you know what? I will try to negotiate this deal. And so I got in there. It was a 2012 Honda Odyssey and it was great condition, no rust, no, just a few minor, you know, scratches or paint chips, which would be, you know, pretty common if it's, you know, driven on a gravel road, you know, but all in all, the body was almost perfect. I mean, you're not going to get perfect uh, on a used vehicle uh, to begin with, but all in all, you could not visibly see the scratches uh, at any real distance, you pretty much had to be right up on it, closely inspecting it in order to find it. And there was only like three or four scratches, you know, throughout the entire body, which is pretty good. And I was looking at this and the dealership, oh, the dealership wanted $12,500 and it had 105,000 miles. So I started you know, thinking about this. And I asked my wife, you know, how badly do you think you want this? And she was going, you know, really, really badly. And I go back door, you know, like, do you want this so much that you're willing to let me in the back door? You know, which is code, uh, of course, for anal. And, you know, she's done that uh, a few times, you know, and she doesn't, you know, necessarily hate it. It's just she, you know, mentally, you know, doesn't like it because of, well, what she thinks about mentally about what her ass is for. And so anyway, she was going through and going, eh, maybe, you know, just kind of one of those things. So I'm like, okay, okay, you know what? I'll give this a shot here. You know, so I go in and I negotiate. And I'm getting them saying, Hey, you know, you have this at 12, you know, uh, five, you know, how would you feel about 10, seven? Right. And she's like, no, 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 we won't be able to do that. Maybe we could bring it down to, you know, about 12. And I'm thinking about this and I'm going, no, you know, that, that is a little too high. Um, what about, you know, maybe 10, nine, right? 10, nine, right? And, you know, the back and forth negotiation, you know, is going, ah, no, no, no. Might be able to get to 11, nine, but that would be stretching it. Now I'm going off here and I'm pretty savvy as a negotiator. I know that because of COVID-19, because of how many people are unemployed and uh, as a result or financially struggling that they're probably not moving a whole lot of vehicles at this particular moment and they're not meeting their quotas. And, but I understood that this vehicle was only just arrived on the lot. It had only been there about three days. And so knowing, you know, the economy, the pressure to move it, you know, I started, you know, kind of going, now, you know, I know I could get them down further. And so I started doing this whole walk away, you know, uh, deal where I'm like, you know, 
for that price, I, I'm not thinking uh, that I can do it. I start getting up uh, to walk away, and they brought down the price more. Oh, yeah. They, she brought down the price uh, another $500 down to eleven five, And I'm like, that, that's right there on the border, right? Um, I'm not quite sure at, at eleven five. So how about this? Let me go home. I will sleep on it, and then I'll be back. Now, if you understand the B-backs, they understand that it, once you're entering into negotiation, you're going to buy a minivan or you're going to buy a vehicle within the next 48 hours, whether it's with them or with somebody else. And that once you leave the lot, it's most likely to be through somebody else. So I said, you know, I, 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 let me sleep on this and, you know, I, I'll be back, you know. And I started headed towards the door and to which the salesperson <laughs> came back came back and go, wait, wait, wait. Let's try and split the difference a little bit here. And I will go down to as low as 112. Right now, that's still higher than what I was thinking, but I knew that was a great deal for this, so we agreed on eleven two. Right now, up until this moment, I never told the person how I was going to pay for it. Right, so they came down to eleven two, realizing the the economy, how hard it's going to be to move vehicles, especially you know more expensive vehicles and all of that. So we start going through uh, the paperwork and she started asking, okay, 11-2, who are you going to finance this with? Because of course, you know, during the negotiations, one of the things that the car people do or the dealerships do is calculate how low they can go based off of how much money they expect to make on the financing and selling the loan. And I go, oh, I'm not financing. Uh, this will be a cash payment. Right. And the look on that deal, the look on their face when it's all that. So, you know, in the end, I got my wife a 2012 Honda Odyssey in really great condition with the automatic sliding doors on both sides, the moon roof, the, you know, cool box, the Bluetooth connections, the trip computers, and, you know, uh, all the bells and whistles uh, that you can find for that make and model, you know, and, and especially the heated seats for the wintertime and the fact that the driver's side seat can go up and down, you know, all these things, you know, my wife uh, was really, really excited for and about, you know, in getting the upgrade. And so I opened up my checkbook and I put out a check and I was really having a problem here, you know, as I was writing down, you know, the amount here, because after taxes and everything, of course, it brought it back up to $12,000 taxes, titles, registration, you know, all of that. So, you know, went through there and wrote out the check, you know, um, for $12,100. Now, did that bankrupt us? No, of course not. You know, we probably could have bought that uh, at that price, as, you know, a few times over. You know, but I wrote it out 
handed over. And my wife, oh, she was so excited as she drove it home. The kids are so excited because of all the things this van does now and that they can just push a button to open and close it and all that. So she got her new mom mobile. She got me to open up my wallet uh, to get it. And now she has just been happy, ecstatic, and just been wanting to drive it all over the place. In fact, as I'm recording this, her and the kids uh, just took a trip uh, to grandma's house. Oh, wanting to take it down there. And of course, we got full coverage for it. You know, again, you know, I, I complain a little bit about money, even though we got money. But that is because I have just been a tightwad, and that's why we have money, because I don't just spend it, fruit, uh, spend it wastefully on everything. You know, and so she's been incredibly happy. And so, I've been, so I was kind of teasing her a little bit, you know, the uh, day we got it about, ooh, the back door, the back door. All right, so later that night, she goes to show me just how happy and grateful she is, right? And here's where we get to the main point of this long story here. So finally, I go through and I go, are you ready for the back door? And her expression on her face kind of dropped, but, you know, she was like, fine, you know, go for it. You earned it you know, earned it as in planning our finances enough to actually do it. And so I get it, just start getting it close to her butthole. And then I stop and I go, nah, you don't have to, you know, I, I know you hate that. Well, you don't hate it, that you don't like the back door and you shouldn't have to you know, do these type of things just to get, you know, a reward for responsible behaving and, you know, uh, going along with the financial plan and everything. So, you know, you don't have to do it. And then, you know, went back and gave her a nice big orgasm. That's right. So I was only teasing her about the back door just to see how important getting this new minivan was for her how excited and how happy she was to get it. It was more of me trying to gauge, you know, the importance and how happy it would make her because her happiness does tend to be more important than money and saving up financially and all of that. So it was just kind of more of a test engaging that. And in the end, she didn't have to go through with any of that in order to go through. In fact, she got her new you know, ideal mom mobile that she has wanted for a very long time now. And she, on top of that, got rewarded with a nice big orgasm. Yeah, that was a great day for her. And so, you know, all of this is to say, you know, that, well, I'm just, I guess I'm trying to figure out uh, the whole moral of the story here about her being able to get me to open up my wallet and not be such a tight wad. But I guess the moral of the story is when you work together on your financial plan and decide what is important to you, you know, 
and understand the statement of where your money is or where your treasure is, your heart is also. That in being able to work together to build up, you know, savings, money, it gives you options to do things. It gives you the ability to write out a $12,000 check or a $20,000 check. You know, we could have easily done a $20,000 check and not bankrupt us. But, you know, because we had, you know, gone through and communicated and agreed on our finances for so long, it gave us the option to be able to buy this new minivan that she, that has made her so happy, you know, and being able to get rid of the old one. So the moral of the story is when you work together and planning your household priorities, financial futures, and all of that, it gives you the options to every so often go big on doing something nice and getting something nice. Now, along with everything that I have been talking about, does that mean I didn't get anything in return? You know, did I not get any type of reward for opening up the wallet to spend so much money on this minivan? Of course not. Of course, I wanted something as a reward for my financial responsibility as well. Although what I wanted was a hell of a lot cheaper, you know, a hell of a lot cheaper than $12,000. So so after, you know, going through and taking a look at everything uh, with this minivan and getting her exactly what she wanted, what did I want in return as my reward for financial responsibility? My reward for sticking to the budget and being able to build up this money? Well, my reward was I wanted $600 uh, to be able to move uh, from one account over uh, to Robinhood. Robinhood being an investing uh, app. You know, uh, if you're not familiar with Robinhood, it allows you to do uh, stock investments, stocks and ETFs commission free. Although a lot of places do commission free uh, right now. And like I said, we got you know, other accounts, you know, for investing, but I wanted to move $600 over uh, to Robinhood uh, in order to take advantage of investing in what they called fractional shares. So how most investment uh, firms go through, whether you use E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, and all of that is when you buy and sell stocks, you got to buy in whole shares. So let's say, you know, just take a quick example. If a stock is selling or trading at $20 a share, then you have to invest in that stock at $20 increments, you know, $20 per share, you know, buy whole shares. With Robinhood, let's say, you know, the stock is, you know, trading at $40, but you only have $20 available cash, which when we say that is because you got stocks you know, depending on how you do your trading, whether you're day trading, swing trading, long-term investing, however you set up your trading, you know, you always have, you know, stocks being bought and sold. So let's say it's selling at $40 a share. But in this example, let's say you only have $20. Well, with fractional shares, you just put in the dollar amount, not the number of shares you want to buy, but the dollar amount you want to invest in that stock. And if it, uh, 
if you put $20 into a $40 stock, well, then you get half a share and they let you invest in as little as $1 increment. So you could put in $1 into a particular stock, right? And they'll give you $1 worth of a share, right? So I wanted to be able to try doing this uh, fractional shares in order to see how, you know, the difference and being able to grow our money even more. Because when we're taking a look at having to buy in regular share amounts, there's always a certain amount of dollars, you know, uh, that is not invested in making money, you know, because it's not enough to buy the, another share. So let's say it's uh, the stock is at $10 a share, but you have all but $8, you know, invested in all these different stocks that you're invested in. Well, that's $8 that is not earning money. It's just sitting there because, well, it's not enough to buy another share of anything. So I wanted to see, you know, because, you know, I'm a little greedy here. I want that extra eight dollars uh, that i have to be earning money so i was able to go through and you know show her okay here's what our investments are doing right now and everything i want to take just six hundred dollars you know to experiment with six hundred dollars is a lot less than twelve thousand you know and i want to move it over you know to robin hood and then i want to take another four hundred dollars right and, you know, split it between, you know, doing investments in cryptocurrency uh, with Coinbase and getting things set up on, an, on another investment, which is uh, Acorn. Now, Acorn, what that does, it's investing your change. So when you go somewhere, let's say you go, you fill up on gas and I don't know, it comes to, you know, $26.25. Well, Acorn takes the additional 75 cents, you know, rounds it up, you know, to round up to the nearest dollar and then takes that and then, you know, moves it over into an investment. So, you know, all in all, I'm thinking, okay, you know what? I want a thousand dollars, you know, right there to, you know, take a look at investing, you know, and everything. And then, um, I also wanted to do one last thing here which was uh, to be able to go on Fiverr and, you know, right now I'm waiting on some quotes for this, but to have uh, the development of a uh, continuously learning uh, artificial intelligence program uh, in order to do technical analysis on the stocks in my watch list and be able to provide me a, well, the indicators of which stocks in my watch list uh, will be a good investment at this particular point in time. You know, and I'm waiting on some quotes from that. I, I don't know whether or not I'm going to be able to get that within, you know, the price range of what I'm looking for, you know, but the great thing about Fiverr is I'm taking a look at everyone offering that service around the world and getting a price quote. So, yeah, when I take a look at this, it's not that I didn't get anything in return. It's just what I wanted was to be able to take some of our money, switch it to different uh, types of uh, investment methods and just kind of experiment, you know, the success or failure, you know, and, 
you know, with Robinhood, with fractional share investing, uh, doing some cryptocurrency investing and, you know, maybe getting, uh, you know, a custom artificial intelligence program. Although I have gotten, um, you know, a few of the quotes back on the artificial intelligence program and woo, some of them are pretty damn expensive. So I might not be able to go through with uh, the artificial intelligence program, but I uh, am going to be able to go through and take a look at moving uh, how we're doing some of our investments to see whether or not we're able to get even better returns and be able to make more money off of that. And so that's how we kind of go through. She got a new minivan and I got to get money to invest in different ways. I'd say that is a win-win situation. And that's kind of how you go through and you think about these things. You don't go through and go, well, if this, then that, you know, type of situation. I mean, you don't really go through and say, hey, if I, you know, um, use our money to get you this van that you want, then you have to do this sexual act. That is not how you go. I mean, you can tease about that. You can joke around. You might be able to let them, you know, think uh, that for a little bit. But in the end, you don't actually make them go through with it. But to go through and say, hey, if you get this as a reward, then I want this as my reward you know, another item or another thing uh, that you can spend money on, you know, of equal or lesser value. Well, that right there, you know, would be okay. And when we analyze both situations here, you know, what she really wanted was that minivan, which is for the family and being able to, you know, safely transport you know, the family, you know, to and from destinations on doing family things together, taking the kids to school, do, you know, getting the groceries. It was a vehicle that, you know, while we could have gotten it cheaper, it was a luxury like van that was for the purpose of benefiting the family. And my reward was also for the benefit of the family being able to go through and take a look at different ways, different uh, investment ways of growing our money to improve our family's financial futures and uh, you know, our retirement and the kids' college funds and all of that. So, you know, it's not like she, her reward was something, you know, for the family and mine was for something fun. No, 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 no. That both of this, if you get to do this, I get to do that was both for the benefit of the entire family. And that's kind of how you set it up. I, you don't go, okay, your reward is something that benefits the family, but my reward is something that is just fun for me that only I get to benefit from that. That's not how you go. So you got to make sure that you clearly, you know, set up what your family priorities are and that. If they're getting something for one type of purpose, whether it's just for themselves or for the family, and you want, you know, a reward for yourself, it has to be kind of the same thing. You know, for us, you know, we're, I don't know, we're pretty much simple people. I mean, and when I take a look around at all of the things uh, that I, you know, would want, you know, electronics or, you know, just personal items and all of that. I'm pretty simple. I'm, I'm pretty basic. 
I mean, I got, uh, you know, my own game system, you know, because the kids, you know, hog up uh, the PlayStation 3. So, you know, I got a nice, you know, little 32-inch screen uh, TV that, yeah, it's also plugged into the computer, but I was able to find an old PlayStation 3 off of Facebook for, you know, about $100, $150. And, you know, we already have a lot of games, you know, uh, because we had a PlayStation 3 upstairs. So I get to actually play the games. Um, the issue was uh, the kids were always hogging the TV. And, you know, my wife, you know, she likes it too because she likes to play video games. And so, you know, me and her just kind of share uh, the PlayStation 3. And, yeah, well, and then the kids share a PlayStation 3. And so we all get to kind of enjoy it. You know, and, but me and her uh, did go off and get a PlayStation 4 and we're hiding that from the kids. You know, that way we get to, you know, play the PlayStation 4 with the remakes that we like and being able to do that. So we like to, you know, as a way to distress, play video games. And so we got, you know, our own TV and uh, game system separate uh, from the kids so that we don't have to fight them for the video games, you know? So, you know, we go through and share that. So we got, you know, nice little, you know, area. And plus, you know, even though we got a TV in our bedroom, the kids, for some reason, take that. So if there's, uh, you know, one person playing video games out in the living room, the other two kids, you know, pile into our bedroom to watch the TV. Ugh. You know, or what's even stranger, and this is a strange habit of kids, there could be nobody watching the TV in the living room, no one playing video games. It's a 50-inch TV screen, and yet they pile into the bedroom, our bedroom, to watch TV on a 32-inch screen. Makes no sense to us. But, you know, as far as it goes, what it's supposed to be set up for is the kids, you know, they get to watch TV out in the living room, play video games out in the living room. And then me and my wife, you know, if we're playing, whoever's playing video games would be on the downstairs TV. And whoever's just watching TV would be up in our bedroom. That's what the way it's supposed to be. But the kids have a habit of overtaking, you know, certain things because watching it on mommy and daddy's TV, even if it's smaller, is special to watch it in our room. You know, it makes them feel special for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know why that is. So, but anyways, uh, let's go ahead and move on uh, to the last segment here. All right. So in keeping on with the theme of the anal sex portion of this show, there are reasons why I didn't go through with having my wife actually, you know, engage in anal sex. And she has in the past. And that is part of the whole try anything three times portion of our sex life, you know, where you can't, you know, knock it or say you don't like it or anything until you've tried it three times. Cause usually about three times is how long it takes to determine whether or not you like something, you know, think about when you ladies first started having sex, your first time when you lost your virginity, it probably hurt. It probably was uncomfortable. It was, you know, not exactly the most pleasurable experience. 
But after about the third time, it started getting better. You started to enjoy it, assuming that you had a guy who wasn't a selfish asshole. You know, you started, you know, getting used to it. You didn't feel any pain. You started feeling the pleasure. And so you start off with that premise and think, okay, try anything about three times. And she's tried it, you know, uh, three times. And, you know, she just doesn't like it, uh, mostly for the mental issues, you know, because she goes, well, that's where I poop from. That's where, you know, it, you know, the inside, how, you know, unsure how clean it can be, you know, and just kind of the mental thought. Plus to her, she just, you know, the reason why she doesn't really like it uh, that much is because to her, it just anal sex just feels like having a shit stuck in your ass that, you know, is constantly moving back and forth, you know, so she, she just can't get over uh, the mental block of it. Now, of course, there is the issue where, you know, it would be infrequent, you know, if she were uh, to go through and engage in that, which means it would hurt just about every time because we would may do it. And then it may be, you know, three to six months before she would allow it again. And then, uh, which of course, you know, allows it to just tighten back up. Just like if you abstain from sex for three to six months, your, uh, any vagina would pretty much tighten back up to virgin status, you know, uh, it's kind of amazing. And so we thought about, Hmm, maybe there's a way to get around that. Like, you know, anal numbing products, you know, uh, some type of thing that we can put on there numbs up the pain, but you know, we've gone through and we realize that there are risks associated with that. You know, if you don't feel the pain, then you don't feel, you know, potentially something going wrong, uh, with it. You know, and that is the risk of these products that are said that they will numb up, uh, you know, your, your ass, you know, in order to cut down on the pain of anal sex, if you do it infrequently, or if it's your first time, you know, because that pain, while of course it sucks, it does provide you indication if something's wrong, you know, if being too rough, if it's tearing up your ass too much, you know, all those type of things, you know, so we realize that, you know, this anal numbing products are not necessarily a good thing uh, to use, even though it would cut down on the pain and maybe, you know, motivate in order to do it a little more often. But and other than the whole issue of thinking about that being the poop hole and, you know, feeling like a big turd stuck in her butt. There are other reasons why she doesn't, you know, want to go through with anal sex and why I don't force her to actually go through. I'll tease her about it. Yeah. I'll make jokes about it. Yeah, of course I will, you know, hint that this is going to be my birthday wish. Yeah. But I know and respect her and love her enough to know that this is her off limits. She tried it three times. She doesn't like it. Therefore, no matter how much teasing I do, I'm never actually going to make her do it. You know, and I think, you know, over the years I might've teased her enough about it that she knows that I'm just teasing and joking and that I'm not actually going to go through with it. And so sometimes she just plays along and everything. 
And, you know, maybe from time to time, I'll ask her during sex on those special occasions if, you know, she'll actually go through with it. And of course, her answer is no. And, you know, whatever, we just go on. But, you know, she also has, you know, the issue here where, you know, there are complications that you can have with anal sex that you don't have with normal sex. And mostly that is uh, friction related tears because, you know, your asshole does not naturally produce lubrication like your pussy does. And therefore, you know, it creates a lot more friction, which, yeah, to us guys, you know, more friction. Yeah, but for you girls out there, I mean, that friction can create tears, especially if you're not using uh, proper lubrication and not using enough lubrication. And even with lubrication, there is the risk of, you know, these tears happening. And when these tears happen, it leaves you open to uh, infections uh, from the bacteria that's part of your digestive system, you know, escaping uh, your, you know, I don't know, escaping through the tears in your ass, you know, and then that can cause, you know, you to get sick, that can cause skin problems, the need to use antibiotics in order to treat some of the problems uh, that go through. And she knows that, you know, and that's part of her calculations that this is, you know, a risk of, you know, of it getting really torn up, you know, getting really bad and getting infections and all of that, you know, serious infections, you know, and all of that, you know, which is part of her calculus as to why she does not want to go through and deal with anal sex. Now, some women, they enjoy anal sex so much and, you know, they go through and they do it so often and make and have it so heavily lubricated that, yeah, they don't think about the risk of tear and infection because, you know, it's a risk reward. What is the risk versus how much your reward is? And the reward side of it is all based on whether or not you like it. If you don't like anal sex, guess what? There's only risk and no actual reward. You know, there's no chance of you actually going through and really liking it if you really, really are turned off and hate the idea of it completely. So it's because of those risks, you know, and problems uh, that I don't actually push her into it. And, you know, it is her body. You know, yes, we're married. And yes, that is about surrendering each other's bodies to each other. But that also means being able to respect each other and respect each other's bodies and not force them to do stuff that they are completely against, they hate, or that could cause severe bodily harm to them. Now, going off of that, uh, this is just a slight you know, change in the topic here, but I was going through and reading through a bunch of stuff on Medium. You know, Medium, popular blog platform. I sometimes, you know, post something on Medium from time to time, you know, not any more often than what I post on my actual website, which, you know, to be honest, you know, I, I have a hard time really getting in to blogging and putting things down into words. Um, if I can figure out just how to... Well, just how to be more, you know, shorter and more concise, I'd probably blog a little bit more. But in any event, 
I do come across different things, you know, on medium, uh, in sexuality and news and politics and entrepreneurship and business. And I came across this one and it's titled porn makes men terrible in bed. Okay. Okay. Now this was written back in, uh, 2016, but it is a good read still, you know, and a lot of times, you know, I'll do some searches, uh, and everything just to kind of see what people are, you know, talking about and analyzing whether I agree or disagree. But this article goes off and it's written by uh, Emma Lindsay and you know, it has a pretty good take on it. It's not just porn is bad and you know, all of that is just saying porn makes men terrible in bed and has a good argument for it. And so it reads, I hate porn. I don't hate it because it's immoral or because it's often uh, explores uh, unusual tastes or because it has uncovered uh, bestial or bestial side of humans we pretended didn't exist. I hate porn because fucking men who have watched a lot of porn is the worst, the absolute worst. Uh, for the sake of your future partners, go easy on the porn. Many young men will watch porn more often than they have sex with other humans. Their belief about sex will come from porn and not from interactions with real people. And the real humans who eventually have sex with suffer for it. You know, most porn is about watching women pretend to enjoy sexual acts that are unpleasant to them. It doesn't have to be this way, but it is. Men who watch this type of porn are basically being taught sexual practices that will not work in real life. Why does that matter? Well, if you're an 18-year-old virgin, the only moves you, you're learning are moves that will leave your partner miserable. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it continues to go through uh, like this, but it does make a good point here. You know, porn is unrealistic. It has people doing acts and engaging in certain sexual behavior and pretending to like it that in all actuality is, you know, painful, um, is uncomfortable, is really not enjoyable in any way, shape or form but they're supposed to pretend that they like it. And there's a lot of in porn where they're in the middle of a scene and then cut, you know, got to readjust the camera and then readjust the lightings, try and hold still. All right. And action. And then try and pick up where they had left off, you know, and still pretending to enjoy it. So I do get the point uh, that is made here. And for the most part, I do agree with it. If your experience or all of your ideas are coming from porn and you're going off and just using that as, oh, the porn actress seemed to like it. This is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's going to go off and make terrible sexual partners because very few people actually enjoy a lot of what happens in porn. Very few people actually enjoy being, you know, humiliated. Uh, pissed on, crapped on, you know, are, you know, really treated in a dominatrix uh, type of way. I mean, those are things that while some people enjoy it, the vast majority probably do not, you know, and I really haven't taken a poll here, 
I'm just going by what this particular writer is saying here and how it makes sense. You know, how it makes sense that, you know, porn is a very terrible place to go to learn, to study. It's a great place to go to get ideas. It's a place to go to try and, you know, talk with your partner about, hey, should we try this and see whether or not we like it? You know, that it's okay for that. But if your whole, you know, sexual experiences, every time you're with a partner, you try to act like a porn star and you don't talk about it or anything. And that's your first interaction. And then you're wondering why the person never calls you back or answers your calls or anything the following day. Well, that's probably an indication. You know, you, you got to understand the difference between reality and things that are designed to just well, go for fantasy, right? To go for the fantasy setup. Right? And, you know, in uh, marriages and relationships, if your spouse is just all of a sudden, you know, just doing something that they saw in porn, uh, they didn't discuss it with you, they didn't, you know, show it to you, get your thoughts and opinions on it, and you just start going off and acting like a porn star and doing all those things. And then you realize that there's a decline in your sex life of how often you're having sex every week or every month or whatever. Well, chances are it is you trying to mimic a porn star that may be decreasing how much sex is involved in your relationship. Because while you think, yes, she has to love this because, you know, porn tells me she loves this or he has to love it when I do this because porn tells me he loves this. Well, that's not how it goes. I mean, just think about it like this. You know, porn is very much like the internet. You can't believe everything you see. Right? Just keep that in mind. If you keep that in mind with your sexual activities, then you should be able to avoid any problems, complications, decreases in your sex life. I mean, really, you know, instead of going towards or looking towards porn to determine what your spouse or what your partner will definitely love or dislike, just talk with them. Just, you know, communicate with them. Just sit down, have a conversation and go, hey, you know, let's go ahead, try this. Tell me what you think. Or, hey, how do you feel about, you know, experimenting this way and, you know, this way, that way and however, which way you want to go. You know, just communicate with them. That is the best way to go when it comes to trying to have the best sex life possible. Okay, so that's it uh, for this particular episode. I'd like to thank you so much for listening. Uh, your time and attention is always appreciated. If you want to go ahead and contribute, you can uh, look in the show notes to find ways in which you can tip me through PayPal, Patreon, or through Anchor itself. Or, you know, just go ahead and share this with anybody else that you think would enjoy this type of content. And yeah. That's the best way to help support the show. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be back again soon.